How many of you had nightmares growing up as a child at any time? One of the very first nightmares I remember having um, was kind of obscure, but I guess I'd heard the story of the big bad wolf. And I had this, this dream one night about the big bad wolf chasing me down the alley in our backyard. And not only was he chasing me down the alley in our backyard, somehow he had acquired this lovely set of Chinese throwing stars. And I remember so many times waking up from nightmares like this and running into my mom and dad's room and saying, Mom and Dad, I just had this dream and the big bat wolf was chasing me down the alley and he was throwing these Chinese stars at me and I'm so afraid. And I remember at times my mom would look at me and say, well, Gary, you're going to have to get over. It's not real. You're you're 21 years old. It's got to stop somewhere. But it's, it's funny now being on the other side as a parent. Because I will wake up at times in the morning and then next to me in the bed will be our youngest three-year-old, almost four-year-old daughter, Kaylee. And she'll have this little sad puppy dog face and she'll look at me and I'll say, well, Kaylee, why did you come in our room last night? (laughs) She's laughing. And she'll say, Daddy, the monsters were going to get me. And it's so, so adorable to look at her little face say, monsters. But, but all of us have had those dreams and those moments where you imagine something that was not there. And as we kind of move into this, this part of the year where we kind of play with monsters and ghosts and Halloween costumes, I wanted to kind of focus on some monsters over the next five weeks. And these monsters, unlike the ones that our minds and imaginations have the ability to create out of nothing, these are real monsters. And these monsters are dangerous. Because these monsters that we're going to talk about over the next five weeks will attack something that is so precious and important to you. And that is your heart. Now, our society, we are pretty aware of the heart. We have all kinds of different machines that monitor the health of our heart. And we know that we go to the doctor and the doctor looks at things like pulse and blood pressure. And they'll give you medicine or they'll do operations. They'll do things to fix the heart, to prevent this heart attack. Because we know that something as serious as a heart attack can wreak havoc on your life. And so over the course of this series, I don't necessarily want to talk about the physical heart attack. But I do want to talk about your heart being under attack. Because your heart is something, and the Proverbs writer will say it like this, above all else, guard your heart. Because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. And listen to this. Because everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. 
heart is used in the Bible over a thousand times. Over a thousand times this word occurs throughout the Old and the New Testament. But very few times does it actually talk and speak of a heart that pumps blood. The heart that keeps you moving. For the most part, it's pretty obscure and difficult to define. Because the heart that Scripture speaks of is what allows us to live and to fear and to laugh and to experience life. It's, It's the essence of who we are. And Jesus speaks of the heart a lot. But one of the things, and my guess is, that growing up, you weren't really taught how to guard your heart. You weren't really taught how to affect and change your heart. What you were taught and what I was taught was how to change our behavior. And we learn from a very young age as we reach out and try to touch the light socket that we've been told not to touch. That if we do this, bad things are going to happen. And as we get older, we start to learn the same lessons on a bigger scale. That if we take something that doesn't belong to us, then there's going to be consequences. Or if we tell a lie, we tell something that's not true, we hide information, there's going to be consequences. Or if we get in the car and we drive over the speed limit and you actually get caught, there's going to be consequences. And so what we learn at a really, really young age is how to modify our behavior. How to make sure the outside looks perfect. And maybe, maybe there's no better place where it's on full display than in church. Where we walk in every single time the doors are open, every Sunday morning, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Has anyone ever asked someone how you're doing? And before they could even respond, you said, that's great. We are so used to these programmed responses. And so used to modifying our behavior to make sure it looks like everything is okay. That when it's not, we're lost with what we should do and how we respond. Because like I said, my guess is, it's something you were never taught. But what I do know is this. And I think the writer of Proverbs is so true. That everything you do flows from the heart. And eventually, it is going to come out. Eventually, you're going to see what's inside. And it comes out in phrases like this, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I just did that. That is not me. And I think the Proverbs writer, and I think even Jesus, would look at you and say, no, no, 
that's exactly who you are. It's just you've gotten really skilled at hiding who you are. It's that you've gotten really good at making sure people see this perfect, pristine outside. But when all that's stripped away, when you take all the facade away, and you simply look, the only one that knows the answer to this question, how is your heart, is you. No one else can answer that question. But here's what I know. is what is inside will eventually come out. This past January, um, we had some issues in our house with our plumbing. And we had a toilet that was backing up in our laundry room. And like any parent who has a toilet backing up, you automatically assume that your three-year-old did something to the toilet. And so we brought Kaylee in and we said, Kaylee, did you or Caleb do something to the toilet? Did you put too much toilet paper down it or did you put a toy down it? Oh, I put a toy down it is what Kaylee tells us. She flushed this toy. And so I pull the toilet up and um, I start trying to get stuff out of it and try and get this fixed because I do not want to call a plumber. I don't want to spend the money. And so I pull the, the toilet up and I take it outside and I start trying to get whatever is stuck there inside it out. And I work on it and I work on it and I'm not getting anywhere. And I get my neighbor, Chris, and say, hey, can you help me get this, what's stuck out? And we work on it and we work on it. And finally I say, okay, eventually I'm going to have a, a plumber come out. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, you're going to have to buy a new toilet. And he's going to pay me, he's going to, charge me for the toilet. He's going to charge me to put it in. I'm just going to do it myself. So I go to Lowe's and I pick out a toilet and I bring it home and I put it back in and everything is working perfectly until a week later and we encounter the same problem. And so finally I break down, okay, we're going to have to call the plumber and the plumber comes out to our house and he looks at the toilet and he says, well, I don't think the problem is right here in this part of the house. And so, you know, they charge you like, you know, $6,000 to run those snakes through the, the drains because you can't go to Lowe's and buy one of those yourself. And so we have this special gear and they run the snake through our house. And finally, I get a text message from my wife saying, we found the problem. See, what happened was our daughter did flush something down the toilet. But it wasn't a toy. It was a dish towel. As she was trying to clean up a mess that she had made in the bathroom. And this was lodged at a T way, way under our house before it heads out to the street. Something that I was completely incapable of fixing on my own. But what I do know is that we kept seeing the results and the repercussions of what had happened earlier because of what was stuck. Because of what was lodged deep, deep inside, everything else was starting to come out. Now, by the time Jesus comes around, 
the Pharisees had developed what was called the tradition of the elders. And the tradition of the elders took the 613 laws that are written in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the tradition of the elders put these other rules, kind of hedges in place to keep people from breaking their laws. So we have a law that says you shouldn't cross the street on a Friday. And so we're going to make a law that you shouldn't even come within five feet of the street on a Friday. And so it was these little other traditions and laws that they had put in place to help people from protect or from breaking the actual law. And so in Matthew chapter 15, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So there's this tradition, or there's this law for cleanliness. And so the elders had put in place in this tradition some expectations, some other traditions to help people from breaking the cleanliness law. And one of those expectations was that they washed their hands before they ate, which we might say, thank you, that's a good thing. But they had a ceremonial washing. And they had to wash completely from their fingertips all the way down past their elbows every single time. And so they asked Jesus this question, why do your elders or why do your disciples break our traditions and not wash before they eat? So they ask him a question and Jesus responds with another question, which is what we would probably expect from Jesus. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They ask Jesus this question. And Jesus responds with another question, but he does not give them time to answer the question he asked. Most of the time, Jesus will respond to a question with a question, but he leaves room for them to answer the question for himself. For themselves. But instead, here, he breaks into this mini-sermon about how they are not keeping God's commands. And he finishes it off with a passage that would have been so, so familiar to them from the book of Isaiah. And he says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. And what Isaiah says is there's this disconnect between your actions and your words. And where that is coming from is truly a disconnect of the heart. It's the heart that's not synced where it's supposed to be. It's the heart that's not lined up with God's laws and God's commands. It's not just the actions that aren't right. It goes deeper than that. It's not just that we want to fix the actions and make the outside look right. There is a deeper disconnect. And it starts right here inside of us. 
And so Jesus goes in to a little bit of explanation about how important this is. And he says, the crowd, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. This is a society and a community consumed by what they put in. Because there are all these dietary laws. And in their mind, the ability to obey them, that made them clean. And Jesus says, no, you've missed the point of those laws. It was never really, really about what you put in that was so important. It's what comes out that matters. And so he tells this small little parable, and Peter comes to him and says, can you just explain this to us? We, we don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus says, are you still so dull? Don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Biology 101. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart, and these defile them. These people were so consumed with these dietary laws and restrictions. Making sure that whatever went into your mouth was clean. So much so that you needed to make sure your hands and your arms were fully clean because they were what was carrying the food to your mouth. And so you have to obey our traditions. Ultimately, your behavior needs to look right to us. Now here's something I think you know and I know. Is we know we're pros at making our behavior look like everything is okay. We're pros at putting on the facade. We're pros at playing the game. We're pros at saying, well, I, I don't do those things that defile. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Stop looking at the outside as a gauge how you are doing and look deep because what's inside will eventually come out see the heart is the ultimate gauge to how you are doing and Jesus says to them for out of the heart notice this out of the heart Come evil thoughts. Don't evil thoughts come from the mind? No, no. This comes out of the heart. And murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, 
deeds are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile them. They were so good at playing the game. And here's my guess, is most of them could look at the list. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. I don't do those. But here's the problem with lists. We like lists. Because what we will do is we will pick out the ones that we don't struggle with and focus on those and ignore the deeper part of the problem. The, the, the problem is not just that this behavior is coming out. The problem is where that behavior is originating. And it's coming from deep within you. I think that's why Paul in Romans says that the law was powerless. Because the law put this set of explanations or expectations for the people up in front of them. 613 of them, in fact. And you can look and say, well, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. But what the Pharisees kept running into with Jesus was not their ability to not do the things they were not supposed to do and do the things they were supposed to do. It wasn't their ability to modify their behavior. It was always about the purpose behind it. It it was always about the deeper issue. It, It wasn't just about changing the behavior and saying, well, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. But that's what we're taught in church. Because most of us grew up with this idea that Christianity is this set of do's and don'ts. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't go see movies you shouldn't see. Give, be nice to people, be kind, love people. Like We we have our lists. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not necessarily about the list. It's, It's not about do this and don't do this. It's about something deeper than that. It's about what's really inside of you. And he says the law was powerless to change people. Because here's the crazy thing. People can know what they should do and not do it. can know exactly what you're supposed to do health-wise to fix your heart and never do it. You can know exactly what you're supposed to do spiritually and never do it. And our actions, our behaviors simply hide that condition. So I want to ask you a question kind of jump into this series and talk about these monsters and these enemies over the next several weeks. And it's pretty simple. How is your heart? Not not the heart of the person sitting next to you. 
not, not the heart of the person you wish they were here to hear this this morning. Not the heart of your son or your daughter or your spouse. How's your heart? Because like the Pharisees, we're so good at looking at everyone else and seeing what they're doing wrong. And never taking a deep look inside. And what Paul finishes with is he talks about the law being powerless. He says this is where Christ steps in through the cross and makes the powerlessness of the law irrelevant because he becomes the answer to the behaviors that we never got in the first place. He he becomes the righteousness for us when we surrender that to him. And what he does through that is he begins to change you from the inside out. It's the prophecy that Ezekiel promised that we read earlier. Ezekiel says, here's what God is going to do. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That I'm going to change you. But I'm not just going to change the outward appearance. I'm going to change you from the inside out as you surrender all you have to me. But here's the problem. For so long, we have taught people, change and you can follow Jesus. And Jesus' message is constantly, Follow me, and you will change. We don't have a behavior problem in our society. We don't have behavior problems in our churches. We have heart problems. And until we start taking responsibility for ourself, nothing will ever change. So this morning, as we begin this series talking about these monsters that have the ability to wreak havoc on your heart, I just simply ask you the question, how is your heart? Father, today, Father, we pray in this place, you will continue to transform us, you will continue to change us, you will continue to make us new. Father, we surrender what we have. Father, we hold on to it so dearly because we find hope in it. Father, because we think so much that we care so much about the outside and what what comes out. But Father, what you're truly after is changing our hearts. And as we follow Jesus, as we surrender to him every single day, Father, you are changing us from the inside out, transforming our lives, transforming our minds, renewing us, redeeming us, reconciling us. Father, it's not just a one-time decision, but Father, it's a daily surrender that truly gives our hearts to you. And so, Father, this morning, again, we surrender all that we have, and we ask that you make us new, that you make us whole, that you change us, that you create in us 
new heart. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' most powerful and precious name. Amen. This morning we offer you the invitation. If you've never given your life to Christ, come to him. Be made new. Be raised to walk in a new life. Because through that, he begins this process of tearing away the old within your heart and giving you this new heart, this heart of flesh. But if we could pray for you, we would love to do that as well. We're going to have our ministry staff, our elders around the back of this room. We would love to help you in any way that we can. So whatever your need, come while we stand and sing. Free.